Hello and welcome back to Practicing English. And it's Friday, so that means it's story time. And I'm reading chapter 15 of The Tudor Conspiracy. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels or for those students who just want to improve their general English. For transcripts of these podcasts, please go to practicingenglish.com. If you remember, Isabel and Philip are going back to Stratford-upon-Avon to find the master. Before I start the chapter, I'll read through some of the vocabulary so that you can identify it during the reading. And the first word is astonished. And astonished means very surprised. Very surprised. Astonished. And the next word is courage. C-O-U-R-A-G-E. And courage is bravery or being brave. And the next word is an opposite of courage, which is cowardice. Now, cowardice is the lack of courage. So it means not being brave. And it comes from the word coward, which is the person who does not have courage. And coward is spelled C-O-W-A-R-D. But the word you're going to hear is cowardice. And finally, we have the word team. T-E-E-M for Mike. And it refers to the weather, the rain. Teeming with rain, we say. So, it means raining very hard. So, when the rain falls very hard, we call that teeming with rain. And I have a question for you to answer a comprehension question from chapter 15. And the question is, why can't the master escape from the garden? Why can't the master Escape from the garden. Right, so that's the end of the vocabulary for you to listen out for and try to identify the context it's used in, who says it, or in which situation the word appears. Okay, so let's begin. The Tudor Conspiracy by M. A. Bilbrough. This recording is copyright. Chapter 15 Shakespeare's Birthplace. The rain was falling more persistently now, and Isabel and Philip had to walk close together under the small umbrella to keep dry. Shakespeare's birthplace was quite a short distance from the centre, 
In a few minutes, they would arrive. Isabel felt calm, but Philip looked agitated. Come on, Mr. Tour Guide, said Isabel. Tell me something about Shakespeare's birthplace. Philip took a deep breath and tried to smile. Well, said Philip, you'll see it's a beautiful half-timbered house. Quite large, really. The Shakespeare family, at the time of Shakespeare's birth, were quite prosperous. William's father, John Shakespeare, had a business making and selling gloves, and part of the house was used as a glove-making workshop. Gloves? said Isabel, surprised. Yes, said Philip from under the umbrella. William was hardly a chip off the old block. A what? asked Isabel, frowning. A chip off the old block, repeated Philip. That means to be like your mother or your father. I'm saying he wasn't like his father. Anyway, Shakespeare spent his childhood here. The Shakespeare line from William finished when his grandchildren had no children themselves. But the house stayed in the family on William's sister's side, Susanna. It remained as property of the Shakespeare family for two hundred years. In fact, shh, Isabel suddenly whispered, look over there. On the other side of the road, a figure was walking quickly along the pavement under a large red umbrella. From the raincoat and headscarf, they could see it was Jane. Isabel noticed her handbag and hoped the gun was inside. Jane was ahead of them and walking in the direction of Shakespeare's birthplace. What do we do now? whispered Philip. Follow her, of course, answered Isabel. We haven't got a plan, said Philip. Yes, we have, said Isabel. You've forgotten. She looked at her watch. A quarter past six. When she goes into the birthplace, we'll follow her in. We'll simply go up to the security guard and tell him that the woman's got a gun in her handbag. He'll ask her to empty the handbag and it's all over. It's as simple as that. Despite the rain and the lateness of the hour, there were people queuing to get into Shakespeare's birthplace. Isabel looked to see if she could see somebody alone, somebody who might be the master, but there were too many people. Jane went in first and Isabel and Philip went in a few minutes afterwards. Isabel insisted on paying with the £50 note that Philip had rescued from the restaurant. Once inside, Isabel and Philip looked around for Jane. Where is she? asked Philip. I can't see her. Perhaps she's gone upstairs. These rooms are so small in here. There are people everywhere. She might see us before we see her. Isabel was looking down a passage which led into the garden. The door was open, and Isabel could see a woman standing outside under a red umbrella. 
She's outside, said Isabel. There. Philip followed Isabel's gaze. Okay, I see her. So where's the security guard? Isabel had no idea. She had imagined the house to be quieter than this. Tourists in wet, dripping coats crowd into the room talking loudly, laughing and joking about English weather. More people were pushing their way up the stairs to the first floor. There was hardly any room to move. How would they find a security guard? A terrifying thought came to Isabel. Perhaps there wasn't a security guard. Then she looked about her. This historic and cultural treasure, the birthplace of England's best-loved writer, this could not be left unguarded. I suppose we could ask, suggested Philip, and then, looking around at the mass of people, said almost desperately, Ask who? Isabel was still looking through the open door at the garden, which was the only place the tourists were avoiding because of the heavy rain. Jane was not alone now. A man with no umbrella, dressed in a long raincoat and wearing a trilby hat, had approached her. If we can't find the security guard, said Isabel, with determination, the security guard will have to find us. She began to push past some wet tourists towards the garden. What? cried Philip. You're crazy! Isabel ignored him. Cousin Jane, said the master icily, this meeting must be brief, not just because of this awful rain, but because I do not wish to be seen with you. But master, said Jane, I have the play, the Elizabeth I play. I have completed my task. This is what you asked of me. She pulled out the quarto from her handbag and handed it to the master. He briefly looked at the cover, then leafed through the pages while the rain dripped onto the paper and the ink began to run. Where is the Elizabeth the first play? he asked vaguely. Uh, it's somehow hidden between the pages of the Henry VIII play, answered Jane nervously. She had left the guesthouse with the intention of returning to David Buddle's laboratory and extracting that information from him by force. Unfortunately, she left both the gun and the quarto in her room. She had not found the courage to go back a second time. Jane had no idea how the Elizabeth I play was hidden. What would the master say now? What then happened took her completely by surprise. The master began to tear up the quarto into small pieces. Now there is no Henry VIII quarto, nor an Elizabeth I play, said the master. Mission completed. He rolled the whole thing into a tube-shaped scroll and put it inside his coat pocket.
But, Master, said Jane, looking distressed, if that is all you intended to do with the quarto, I could have destroyed it myself. The master looked at Jane ironically. Cousin Jane, you should know me by now. I trust no one. Jane lowered her eyes and nodded her head. You will not return to the Bodleian, Jane, said the master. You will disappear for a time until I say you can return. But, master, I, I told you, nobody saw me. Everybody is looking for that young couple. If they go to the police, said the master, there will be a lot of explaining to do. They must have recognized you. But, master... The master ignored her. The gun, cousin Jane. You will give me the gun, too. Hey! You there! shouted a woman's voice through the rain. Jane and the master turned and looked. A young woman was standing just outside the porch entrance. She was holding a tiny umbrella and pointing towards them defiantly. The rain was falling so hard it was difficult to see properly. Jane pulled down her dark glasses and peered. A young man now came running up behind the woman. He stopped close behind her. The woman's voice came again, still pointing. You've got something that belongs to me, and I want it back. Jane's face changed from a look of defeat to an evil smile. She would not show cowardice in front of the master. Well, well, she shouted back, who have we here? It's our Spanish cow. She opened her handbag and her hand went inside. Isabel's finger pointed accusingly. Her eyes shone through the rain like hot fires. Then her words came almost in a scream. Poisonous! Bunchback toad! Bottled spider, thou flea, thou nit, thou winter cricket, thou, thou hateful withered hag. There was a long pause, except for the sound of the teeming rain on the soft mud of the flower beds. There was silence. Nobody moved. Everybody was astonished by this flood of Elizabethan insults and this strange, sinister figure who seemed to have just stepped out of the 16th century. The master was the first to react. Who is that? He asked Jane nervously. Without changing the direction of her gaze, Jane answered, It's our little Spanish researcher, Isabel. Her hand moved deeper inside her handbag. The master immediately turned away, not wanting to show his face. No, he said. The gun, no, Jane. He started to walk away, but there was nowhere to go. There was just one exit out of the garden, and that was back through the house. Meanwhile, Jane had dropped her handbag onto the soaking grass. 
but the gun remained held out in both hands. So, Jane said in a cruel voice, our naughty little Spanish researcher and her idiot boyfriend have recognised me. We can't have that now, can we? Oh my goodness, no. We'll just have to rearrange her face. I missed you the first time, didn't I, sweetie? I rearranged Shakespeare's face instead. Well, I won't miss this time. It's time to burn in hell, you witch. Jane aimed the gun at Isabel. And that's the end of chapter 15. Until next Friday, goodbye for now. Thank you.